Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. I'm excited we're doing another panelist interview. We've done a few of these interviews throughout the year. It started with myself, then Jem, Stacy, Shirley. And now in this episode, we will be interviewing Mars to learn more about her background. Mars, thanks for agreeing to uh, let me interview you. I know our listeners will be excited to hear more about your backgrounds. Uh, so I figured where we could start is, you know, maybe a maybe a simple one. You know, where did you grow up? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on again. I am an East Coast transplant in the Bay Area, I would say. I grew up in Boston. Um, in Charlestown for anyone who knows Boston pretty well, like right on the water, but you know, SF is, SF is home now weirdly. So, but you know, shout out to all my Bostonians out there. What do you miss about Boston the most? Hmm. That's a great question. I honestly don't know that I think about it that much anymore, but I do miss all the good seafood and being on the East coast, at least it's just going you drive a few hours and you get through so many different parts of the U.S., whereas here in California, it's such a big state. So I guess I kind of miss the the variety. You know, it's a little bit easier to get around to places. And oh, I guess also the tea. Yeah, like the subway, you know, having good public transportation. That's something, um, you know, that's pretty important. Yeah, it's not something. I mean, we have public transit in in San Francisco, but it's just not the same as it is on the East Coast, which I will agree with you there. And even, I mean, seafood in general, that is a big one. And I'm sure that is a big thing for you missing that. So you lived in in Boston. How long have you been in the Bay Area now? Um, Nine years. So we're coming up on a decade. I don't know how time has flown so fast, but yeah. Nine years. You know what? I think you and I moved to the Bay Area about the exact same time then because I'm coming up on 10 years as well. Wow. Yeah. Got to celebrate. I don't know. Decade feels like a moment to remember. This is a good plan. I like this, Mars. That's what we'll be doing at some point. So growing up in in Boston, what are some things that you would do as like a child or like things that you enjoyed? That's such a hard question because my memory is terrible. So I'm trying to think back to it. I don't, I, you know, lots of just, you know, being on the water. Like I, like I said, I lived in Charlestown, which was, um, you know, has a Navy yard and it's just, it was just so nice to, to be on the water. I feel like, um, I actually spent a lot of time at my mom's workplace, uh, probably more than I had my own like activities. So, uh, definitely roaming the halls of MIT, like watching movies in her office, uh, rollerblading through through the basement, actually, which was a bit taboo. Got, definitely had a security guard call me out on that once. Um, but yeah, I actually spent a lot of time exploring the tunnels of, of the university. That was that was where I spent a lot of my time growing up. That's actually a really unique way to spend your time, which is kind of cool. I also love the like ro- rollerblading and, and kind of getting chased by security. That's awesome. <laughs> what did your mom do at MIT? She was a, well, she still is a professor of architecture, um, but at the time she was working at MIT. So um, yeah, just, you know, teaching, running studios, projects, stuff like that. And when you hung out, did you like enjoy like kind of learning more about the architecture and things that your mom was teaching? Yeah, I think a lot of that was lost on me at the time. Um, I don't know that I appreciated it for what it was, although I do realize now that, you know, being in a house with an architect, um, you know, my mom was an architect, my dad was an architect. 
um, that's kind of played out in various ways in my life. Um, and actually like the whole rollerblading through the basement thing is one of those things. When I move to a new building, I kind of take, I kind of explore, I look at the floor map and I explore the whole building. So I know like where all the stairways are, like how to get around different ways. Um, it relates to the rollerblading through the basements. Cause I also just was curious, like, how is this building structured? How do I get from A to B in the most non-obvious way? Uh, stuff like that. I love that. So you've like, as you've moved to different buildings or places throughout, like you're growing up, that is something you now do is check the map to see like which ways you can come and go. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, I think I know my my current apartment building, like the back of my hand. Um, there are some really weird staircases and like the way our, our garages are connected is is quite the maze. It's, and I feel I feel happy knowing that like if I get, you know, get stuck somewhere, I'm like, oh, I know exactly which obscure staircase to take to get to either my apartment or or the main entrance. So. I love that. That's like, actually like kind of cool how you can tie that back to like just growing up as a kid and learning kind of this architectural piece from your parents and the, and being able to do that's really cool. So why why didn't you end up becoming an architect, Mars? Like you had so much of this around you. You know, I honestly don't know, but I think um, it's actually the architecture influence is why I became a front end engineer. Um, I think in college I started. I studied computer science and it was like a lot of networking and theory and like, yes, there was like an applications set of courses. Um, but it wasn't until I discovered front end, like engineering through an internship that I was like, Oh, this is what I really want to do. It's sort of, um, architecting user experiences, if you will. And it has a lot of like architecture has a lot of engineering, but it also has a lot of aesthetics. And I think front end has the same. There's like a lot of engineering that goes into building a, a UI, um, especially one that's like usable, but there's also a lot of aesthetics that go into it. There's a certain aspect of design. And I didn't realize that um, architecture would come back around to me in, in a way that I didn't even expect. <laughs> yeah, I like that way of tying it together is like looking at front end is very much similar to like an architectural type role is because you are caring about the aesthetics and what it looks like, the usability of it. But then there's also this portion of engineering that makes it happen or makes it work together. That is really cool. So you went to school for computer science. Where did you go to school? Um, I went to Princeton, although I will say I didn't start in computer science. I kind of got derailed from molecular biology. Um, but, you know, here we are. So clearly I was I was OK with with that. <laughs> What, what made the change? Was it that you were just kind of taking some computer science uh, courses and it, that seemed more interesting or is it completely shift while you were at school? I think it's just a combination of circumstances. Um, it may not have been entirely intentional at the time, but I started in uh, an integrated science program, which was a combination of physics, chemistry, math, um, biology, and also had computer science courses weaved into the curriculum. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I was a little unprepared on the math side of things. Uh, so I kind of gravitated towards the computer science stuff because it, it was slightly more tangible at the time. And, and it still has like an aspect of problem solving to it that I really enjoyed. So um, 
yeah, I honestly don't know if I had had better math skills if I would have stayed in, in that track, but I'm also not upset that I'm I'm here doing what I'm doing. So, you know, it's funny how, how things work out like that. Yeah, it is really funny. Like, it's like, was it meant to be? Or it's like, it, you just never really know. But it's like, as long as you end up doing what you like to do, it doesn't really matter so much of how you got there. That's really cool. And so your first taste of front end sounds like you'd mentioned it was from an internship was the internship like a program that came out of school like kind of part of your degree or is it something you did like just after school um this was an internship right before my senior year of college and um i don't remember exactly how i found it it wasn't through a school program but i'm glad i did because i think i was kind of losing my faith in computer science because, you know, networking theory and, and the types of things that we were learning, like none of, I don't know about other schools these days, but at the time it was just not a lot of front end. And it's a whole like side of, of like the practical applications of computer science that I feel like was missed in, in my, in the program. But I'm really glad that I had this internship to expose me to it. Granted, it was 90% jQuery and Googling my way through it. But you know, from there, you you expand your knowledge set. So I mean, so many of us have started at jQuery. So that that's like makes ton of sense that you're diving right into jQuery. Where was the internship at? Um, it was at a small startup called Public Stuff in New York City, which was like a reverse 311 system for governments for like citizens to be able to to report things online you know like uh, broken manhole covers or like you know potholes stuff like that so the city had like more information um like you know to fix it to maintain it that's really cool were you working on the application that ended up being what users used yeah i think i was you know to their credit they put me on something that was completely isolated so i didn't i didn't have the stress of affecting production code um but I can't remember exactly what it was. It was some kind of like map UI to, to show, I think, various services around the city um, that I think eventually launched, although I don't know anything about its longevity, but, you know, it was out there for, for some point of time. We talked a little bit about it for front end was like the aesthetics and pieces, but like what really hit home for you being in that internship where you realize like, no, this is what I want to be doing. Not so much the networking side of, you know, engineering, but the actual front end pieces of it. Yeah, I think um, just realizing that there was kind of another avenue for for computer science. Um, I already liked the problem solving aspect, you know, the coding, the the like you know, writing functions, seeing how the pieces fit together, but it, it really solidified, at least for me, that I could, I had like a more immediate output that I could see. Um, and I tend to be like a very visual person. So being able to like write something and then reload the page and see how it works and like play with it and, and also like have conversations with designers around how it looks or how it functions, I think it was all that other stuff that, that kept me in computer science and, and front end at the end of the day is, is just being able to play with it like in a more visual, tangible way than some like networking, working in the terminal all day type of type of thing. So you did the internship, you went and finished the last year of college. What what next? What was you're done college. So what what did you do after college? Yeah, I um I came out here. I came to the yeah. Bay Area. I, I for my first job, you know, working as a front end engineer. Um, you know, in you know startup life, I was one of 
like 80 or so engineers at the time. I think I was also their first female hire, which was, you know, good and bad. Um, definitely an interesting experience to, to come out here with all of those circumstances. Um, definitely a smaller company than a lot of my friends went to, but I learned, I learned a lot. Definitely felt like it accelerated my growth, especially as, um, it was not a very front end oriented company. So, you know, 80 engineers, but only like four of us were front end. So we, we had a lot of, um, responsibility and, and also a lot of like things that we could share with the rest of the company in terms of our expertise, like over time, obviously as a new hire, I didn't have a lot to share. I was doing a lot of learning, but you know, over time, like being able to, to like <laughs> be a like campaign for, for front end and, and the importance of it at a company that's mostly back end oriented was a really interesting experience. That's really cool. So why the Bay area did, was it like, I, you know, you applied to a job and they're like, Oh yeah, we're in San Francisco. So you, you move out here or were you targeting like, Hey, I want to move to the Bay area. Um, I wasn't targeting the Bay Area specifically, but, you know, in my job search, I found that there were a lot of opportunities here for me. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of tech is out here. And I think that's just sort of how it worked out. I think the other area that there was a lot of tech was New York City, but it was not too keen on being in, in New York City uh, just because Manhattan is, is not my favorite place. But um, I think, I mean, things have changed now. Like there's so many more remote positions, but at the time it just, this is where the opportunities for me were. And I kind of was like, eh, why not? Let's, I didn't maybe naively, I was like, let's give it a try. Let's, you know, move away from all my friends and family and see how it goes. Um, but you know, I, I definitely love California. So I'm glad that I, that I did that. Yeah. I mean, like, like we said at the start, it's like, it's getting on 10 years. You haven't moved back. So that, I mean, that's likely a good sign. <laughs> Getting to the point of where you had started at, at, at a, you know, startup 80 person company, but also being one of the only, or maybe the first, you know, female engineer, that's, that's gotta be a little bit hard, especially being new to the industry. Like, did you find it very challenging or was it, you know, jumping right in? What was the experience like? Yeah, I think, um, at first I honestly didn't think too much of it, um, I think I was just excited about the opportunity and, and the company, I think, was excited to have me there. I think over time, it became clear that um, being the first is, is while exciting, also means that sometimes you are the, the poster person for, for that group of people, which um, I is potentially a, more responsibility than than is needed and and also you find yourself put or i found myself sometimes put in situations where i was not qualified to be there like say on an interview panel for example um but i was there because i was a woman and you know interviewing someone for like a back-end like c plus plus job and i'm like i have no experience in this like this is not a, a situation that i'm comfortable with um but you know i think I don't think there was any maliciousness in, in this particular situation. I think it was just sort of the reality, but also pushing for, you know, we need more female engineers and, and sort of really getting involved in that work stream there when, when it became um, available was really fun and also really, really rewarding and able to like make some really good connections with people who came through 
um, some of our like hiring initiatives. I love that too, is like, obviously has its challenges going into it being the only also being one of the only front end, right? Like, there's only like four, or whatever you said. Um, and so that can always be difficult too. But it's really cool that you spun it to like the positive of like, how can you help influence the, you know, a better outcome and, and bringing more folks in. So that was your first job. What was the what was the company that you were working for the it was a startup? What was the company? Yeah, it's called, um, actually, this may not be their name anymore, but at the time it was called AdRoll, um, which I think has since rebranded to NextRoll. Um, they do at, well, at the time, again, I haven't kept up super closely, but they do ad retargeting, uh, you know, <laughs> those things, you know, all the, all the ads that follow you around the internet, you look at one pair of jeans and you can't unsee the jeans for like a month. So uh, I was really excited about the opportunity, but a little torn. I'm like, oh, am I really going to be in the ad? ad sector but um you know it's still a lot of really good learnings there that's really cool what kind of things did you do for that like i'm assuming you worked on building part pieces of the platform but yeah what kind of things were you working on yeah as um front end we there's you know a lot of the back end stuff went into like how do you serve the ads how do you know who to target etc but we also we were a platform for retargeting. So a lot of consumers would log in and, and set up their, their ad campaigns um, through a dashboard. So that's what I worked on was the dashboard for our customers so that they could log in and manage their campaigns, like see the performance of their campaigns, um, really to just sort of give them the tools to, to grow their business. And, you know, as a small startup, we partnered with a lot of small businesses too. So um, that was, it was pretty cool. Lots of, uh, like that, like charts and, and data tables, very like data rich UI. That's which a lot of challenges that come with that too, is like being able to showcase a lot of data is not an easy thing to do. And so that's, I'm sure you learned a ton just diving into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I think we, we were able to leverage a lot of like open source solutions for our, our data stuff, but uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you realize that rolling your own, is a, a better option than trying to um, just work with with someone else's solution. Which makes sense. So I'm assuming you all ended up rolling your own solution is what you're getting at. Um, for some components, yeah. I think for for others, there's we're sort of like this is way out of our depth. Um, I think some examples include like where we would use someone else's solution. I think we were using high charts at the time for for data plotting. But for things like, uh, you know, sortable tables and uh, date pickers, like we, we decided to roll our own on those. And those are not, let me tell you, those are not easy components to build. Um, while they are really fun, um, they are not easy. And so going through that exercise, like, see, I know now why people, uh, why people use someone else's solution, because this is a lot of work to create and maintain going forward. I feel like the date picker has to be up there with one of the most difficult components to build and roll yourself. There's just so many edge cases. And I feel like there's not a perfect way to solve it all either. Yeah. And I think also because every date picker has its own set of behavior. Like no one has decided that this is the way a date picker works. Like when you pick a start date and an end date, what happens when the end date is before the start date? Like no, no one has figured, well, no one has decided on like a common pattern for this. So when you implement your own, you have to make a lot of those decisions. So you were at the startup. How, how long did you stay at the startup and, and what was next? Oh gosh. Um, I think I was there for like three years ish. 
give or take. I think after that, I, you know, I went to Netflix. That was my, my entry into Netflix, um, you know, with you, Ryan, as my hiring manager. So yeah, working, I went from, I guess at the time when I left, I was working on reusable components and then going to Netflix, I started working more on the product again. So that was a fun, a fun transition. Yeah. What made you choose Netflix in, in that time? Like what made you interested in going to Netflix? I was really interested in Netflix. Coming from AdRoll, we had a very small set of front-end engineers working on what is like kind of a, a large product at the time. And I was just beginning to feel a, wanting to be more appreciated as a front-end engineer because it was primarily like a back-end focused company. Um, and one of the things that I was really interested in with Netflix was just also the appeal to the I think at the time the role was called like UI engineer and I had never seen that at another company like at that time which was really to put emphasis on like you're not a software engineer I mean you are but it's, you're not called a software engineer you're called a UI engineer like we recognize the value in having people specialize in and be good at building front-end UIs and that's really what I was craving at the time was just coming from somewhere where I felt a little underappreciated at that moment, wanting to go somewhere where front end was recognized as like a hard skill and a useful skill, not to mention a lot of things about the Netflix culture, you know, the transparency, the, the, um, the feedback, all of that were sort of like really solidified it in my mind. And I don't know, I just was, I was just happy to be chosen. It felt like a reach for me at the time. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, this will, if it, you know, I feel a lot of my depth here, but this is where you grow. This is, this is where the challenge is. Well, being the, the fact that, uh, I was on the interview loop and, you know, hired you, you crushed the interview. So I, you know, you definitely belong to be there. So you worked on a lot of the uh, signup flows at Netflix, working on, on a lot of features, any, uh, projects or certain areas that stood out to you as kind of the most interesting or exciting that you got to do while working on the, the product side? Yeah. Um, I think there were a couple. The one that comes to mind first is um, a project where we re-architected the signup flow. It, our signup flow is, was mostly like backend driven. Um, we had like, you know, all of our business logic was on the server maintained by a different team. Um, and our front end was mostly intended to just react to that. And uh, now that I'm following the thread of the projects that have interested me since then, uh, it was very much configuration driven. So trying to come up with like a flexible system or framework that could just handle that configuration and kind of work seamlessly so that adding a new page was easier than it had been before uh, was something that I really enjoyed. Now, that's not to say that people aren't considering rewriting it now because it hasn't really stood the test of time, but um, that's which is fine. It's It was just an interesting challenge at, in that moment. Um, so yeah, that was, that was maybe the biggest, longest project I remember working on. Which is kind of cool too, because it, it takes some of your knowledge of like working on more of like the component library in the previous job and then moving into a product team and saying like, how can you leverage this at, you know, at a broader scale to build features faster? Uh, so I feel like you, you kind of combine these two things um, and, and made it really great. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I think also... It's interesting to see now like the, the shift towards more component driven development, because I feel like maybe, um, yeah, I think it all comes from that. It's sort of like, how do you make pieces, 
of the UI be like easily composable and kind of just containers for information as opposed to like building the business logic into them. And, you know, that's, that's not always easy to see the forest through the trees um, when you're working on a project that big. So uh, it was definitely, definitely a, a learning experience. That's awesome. And, you know, another funny thing about your career at Netflix is it ended, right? Like you, uh, you chose that you're like, all right, I'm going to try something different. Um, you went to another company while, you know, being at Netflix for a few years, which I was not going to lie, super sad to see you go, but also excited that you're taking on a new challenge. What did you do next after Netflix? I left Netflix to go work at Airbnb for a couple of years. Um, I was working on their design language system team. So uh, I went away from product back to, to building components, building building the small reusable pieces of a UI. And I think I just had been craving that again for, for so long because that was what I had also, I was doing at AdRoll. I was building a reusable component library so that we could leverage our front-end skills um, more broadly with back-end engineers too who had limited front-end experience then went to Netflix for product. And I was like, let me go build components again. So I went to Airbnb to work on, on the design system, um, which also at the time, like design systems were not as common as they are now. I think within the industry, it's a concept that's really grown. Um, and, and I think Airbnb might've, I don't think they started it, but I think they, they were early adopters of the design system. So a reusable component library is one thing where you're building pieces in isolation, but a design system was a reusable component library built very closely in collaboration with design. And I think that's what I really liked about it is that there is not only the component driven development, but there's also, you know, that really close collaboration with our designers around like, oh, I think it should operate this way. I think it should look this way. You know, I'm not a designer by any means, but, you know, they're very open to that input and able to talk to them about like interaction patterns that either aren't working or, or are working or ones we should implement. Um, that was, I think that was a, an interesting problem to solve. Which honestly design libraries, component libraries, whatever, whatever you want to call them. It, you're right. It, it was something that was newer to our industry or it was like popping up here and there, but really, really difficult too. like, it's such a huge challenge to get buy-in from everyone and get that like collaboration piece between design and engineering. And it, it funny enough is like, even while you were at Netflix the first time around is that started to pop up a bit, but it just didn't have the traction. It was like, we'd start a little bit on it, but not something that really grew as much as something like uh, Airbnb was leading that charge, I think, or one of the companies that was even from seeing them speak on it in the industry. So it was it was kind of really cool to see you chase that passion too, which I think you, you learned a lot too at Airbnb and, and how, how to approach those problems. Uh, what were some of the unique challenges that you had to deal with while at Airbnb? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was mostly like... Design systems are, are sort of enforced consistency and enforced standards. And, and part of the hardest problem is like, what is the consistency and what is the standard that we want to align on? And also we were a cross-platform team. So we had iOS, Android, um, and web engineers. And so trying to even speak the same language was really difficult across all three platforms and with designers. So when you're trying to come up with a design system, it really is just a set of codified decisions. 
And trying to speak the same language to make those decisions is really hard. But you're also like, what are even the decisions that we should make? What are the things that we should enforce as a design system versus leaving it up to um, the consumers or the product? And I think a lot of that just requires um, a lot of self-discipline to be like, these are the principles we put in place. And, and you know, when you're making updates or, or introducing a new component, trying to think back to those principles and guidelines to make sure that you're your the values of your system are implemented and you're sort of I don't want to say stay in your lane but also like you have to have a clear like line just like this is a responsibility of the design system and this is a responsibility of the product otherwise you're doing too much um, so that was I think that was really hard and and having to make those decisions with you know other engineers and other platforms and, and designers it's like just trying to even get to the same understanding and make sure you're using the same terminology was an added layer of complexity that I would say should not be underestimated for how hard that problem is. Yeah, I can only imagine. And at that point, was it Airbnbs used a lot of React Native to to support um, both Android and iOS? Was that something? Had they gone native at that point, where they're going full native in both platforms, or was it still using like React components across iOS, Android, and web? Yeah, at that point, it was already native. Um, I, maybe I'm not sure on the product side because that migration could have taken longer. But our iOS and Android engineers were building native components. Uh, as far as I remember. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that I think that even adds a little more complexity. I, mean, I think there, even if you were using React native components, it, it adds a layer of complexity, but I think even more so when you're abstracting to like, what does iOS look like? And then for Android. So that's really cool to, I mean, it's a, it's a fun challenge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think also like hearing myself say the word challenge so many times in one like 45 minute like time span, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, challenge. We'll we'll go with that in terms of, um, yeah, it's def it's hard. It's definitely hard. It's only coming out the other side of those challenges that you're like, oh, that was actually really interesting, even though it may have felt like I was hitting my head against a wall in the moment. I mean, working with you enough over the years, Mars, I know that you don't shy away from the challenge. I feel like you gravitate towards them, even when they are like those painful moments, you dive in and walk away from it that much more knowledgeable about the problem set. So I think that's, I feel like you just go after those challenges. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. I guess I just want to reflect on the usage of the word to not like sugarcoat the entire experience. So that That's fair. <laughs> at Airbnb... For a couple years, and then you decided, "Hey, I got to go back to Netflix." What What made you decide to go back to Netflix? Yeah, um, I think at the time I was greatly missing the Netflix culture in terms of transparency and feedback, and and just this like mutual trust with colleagues to to know that like you know if I made a mistake um, or if someone else made a mistake it was a, a safe space to to sunshine it and, and talk it through and learn from it so that's that's what I was missing um, but I wasn't quite ready to leave or go like leave Airbnb or go back to Netflix just for the sake of going back to Netflix so I really took my time I definitely explored Netflix for a while talked to a lot of different teams um, and and waited you know like when my current manager approached me and said, hey, um, we would love for you to come lead our some of our design system efforts um, on the growth team at Netflix, I was like, 
yes, 100%. This is the type of work that I like to do. Um, this is um, the, the, the company that I like to work at. And um, design system, I think, you know, upon reflection, I talked to a lot of really good teams and Netflix, like yours included, Ryan. It was like, you know, but design system work is where I want to be. Like, it, it really is. So um, that, so yeah, it was design system work. It was also a role that, again, I was like, oh boy, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I feel wholly unqualified. Let's go see how, how it goes. Because um, it was sort of a transition from being an IC. I mean, I'm still an IC, but like focusing on web to a role that required, uh, still requires a lot of cross-platform context and collaboration because um, on the growth team, we're a cross-platform team. So we have iOS, Android TV, and web. Um, and my mandate was to develop the growth design system on growth, not just on growth on web. So like on growth cross-platform. Obviously I wasn't gonna be the implementer of all those on all those platforms, but more like to find the people, to work with the people who, you know, on growth who were who had the expertise to do it and to provide context and help, you know, bridge gaps and create relationships with our partners. Um so yeah, that's that's what I do now. That's what I do now. And uh it's definitely still feeling like what am I doing here? But you know, it's fun. So We'll go with it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I'm going to call it out, but it's, it's a whole set of new challenges that you're diving into, right? Like it, it is, it's like you said, it's, it's not even just the development side that you're like, oh, I know how to build a component library. It's like, how do you build a component library from scratch, but also like shepherd that across multiple platforms and enable others to be bought in and, and go forward with it too. Yeah. And also I think aligning with other initiatives going on at Netflix, like um, the growth design system is, is one, you know, thing, but we also have a larger design system, like that was already in existence and, and being developed on, on the like product side. So it's like, how do we hook into that effort? You know, like, what does that look like? What are the benefits of collaborating with them? And I mean, this is all to say, I really, really enjoy it, you know, and, and it's been, I'm really glad I came back. So there's, there's no regrets. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we were happy to have you come back. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I was always like, "Hey, Mars, anytime you want to come back." Like, I would, I was bugging you all the time. Yeah, I don't know. It was good. It was, it was fair to be bugged. <laughs> so. <laughs> so maybe focusing on these like challenges and everything. When you think about your career, what's one of the hardest lessons that you've learned that has really helped you in your career? Oh my goodness, that's a really hard one. I don't know if it's so much of a a lesson. Well, okay, actually, maybe this is a lesson. Um, it takes a lot of work to really create those like working relationships with your partners and just like communication is key. I think that's the thing, that's the lesson I would take away is that um, you really wanna be on the same page as everyone you're working with and, and taking the time to communicate properly is really important. And I, properly is very vague, but to make sure that um, you're clear and concise, there's a fine line between too much context and not enough context and like, uh, you know, where is that? So I think that that's been the biggest lesson for me is just like, uh, you know, the stuff that's the non-engineering, the communication, the context gathering, the working with partners, um, it's really important to drive a project forward and, and can sometimes be the demise of it if you don't have those things in place. Well, yeah, if you're disconnected in the communication side where you're not on the same page, that could be a costly mistake that, you know, and it can go on for a while. 
completely agree there. Uh, also, when you reflect, like, sounds like this has been an enjoying space that you've continued to work in, but what keeps driving you to work in tech? That's a great question, because I feel like I've had this this question for myself. I, I think I really enjoy the people. Um, I, I think I will say that is like being able, you know, especially working on a design system, your customers are not your end users all the time. They're generally other engineers who are going to consume your components. And I think um, being able to understand the problems they have and, and you know, try to solve their problem, try to solve their problems and like get ahead of get ahead of their problems too is, is really interesting. And I, I just don't think that, um, I just don't get bored. That's good. I like that. If you were to change careers though, Mars, like if, if it had to be outside of tech, what would you do differently? What would be a different career that you would maybe gravitate towards or, cho- you know, choose? Yeah, that one actually, I feel like it's pretty easy um, for me to answer. And I think it would be an interior designer. Um, you know, we're keeping in the realm of design <laughs> somehow, you know, in, in some, in some way, um, or maybe even an architect. I don't know that, that seems like it's following too closely my parents' footsteps, but, um, I've really enjoyed interior design as of late. And, and by that, I mean, I've been redecorating and renovating a lot and I'm really happy with the results. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's what it would be. I, I really like that though. It's like, even that it's kind of early on you're like yeah i wouldn't want to be an architect or never really thought about that in that world and now it's like bringing it kind of back where you're like maybe i would or you know being the interior design piece of it so that that's really funny how that's kind of brought it back to that yeah it's like you know i keep getting closer to architecture somehow um so we'll see how that that goes for the rest of my life your parents planted the seed in you mars and they're like, yeah, she'll she'll come around at some point. Yeah, eventually, eventually. They're part of the really long game. So. <laughs> what do you think has helped you uh, most? Like, you've been very successful in your career. Like, what has helped you the most uh, when you think that, look back on it, what's helped you in your career? I think actually, I think this was a piece of advice that you gave me, Ryan, when I first started at Netflix was like, don't be scared to ask what, I, I don't want to call them stupid questions, but um, that's the way I think of it. Don't be scared to ask the stupid questions. Um, and that is, I feel like, I don't know. I think there's a humility in it. That's, that's really, um, good for building relationships with, with people that you're working with, but also like there's bound to be someone else in the room who has that same question. So it really like pokes away at the problem too. So there's, I, that to me has been the best piece of advice I got because I think there's a, a people aspect to it as well as a like, yeah, concretely you need the knowledge. And if you're just scared to ask the question, you won't have the context for what you're working on. So I always keep that in mind. And, and sometimes when I forget, um, when I get a little too oriented on the like, oh, I know the answer. And I'm like, no, 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 ask the, ask the stupid question first and, and then provide your opinion. Um, and that, that to me is, yeah, I would say that's the best piece of advice I've gotten. Wow, I'm I'm surprised I gave you that best piece of advice, which is awesome. But uh, sometimes I feel like I should probably follow my own advice on that more because I think sometimes too is you make assumptions, right? Like you're like, oh yeah, like you said, I know the answer to this. But like sometimes asking the question is also like, here's the assumption I'm making to make sure that people are even on the same page. So I like that is just like asking the questions, maybe looking a little forward as you know, we're coming up to the end of the interview, I like to uh, to think about like, what are future goals for you? Like, what are things that you want to continue doing, things that you might see yourself changing in the career? 
You know, I'm not a big fan of the like, what's your five year plan? But, you know, when you start thinking about what are some things that you want to continue doing or maybe strive towards? Yeah, I think um, I want to get closer to the people aspect of things in tech. Um, So I think concretely that translates into hopefully becoming an engineering manager at some point. Um, And then I think I want to, you know, get back to to mentorship of of like more junior developers or, or maybe back to conference conference talks. I don't know. I feel like it's, it's pretty obvious to me what to do in, in my like job title and job role progression. But outside of that, I feel like there's, I want to give back in some way and I just haven't really identified an opportunity to do so yet. And that, and um, you know, just trying to find the energy for stuff outside of work sometimes can be a challenge. So yeah, I don't know. I think I want to get closer to the people, the people part. I like that a lot. And I, I think in in a lot of ways, you are helping people, even like you've been on the podcast for years, giving great advice. And I think sometimes that and not Salfa, it's always been good to give back. But conference talks are always awesome, too, because it's like you actually get that feedback right away. Sometimes when we share the podcast, it's like you don't always get the feedback either. Um, some people share that it's useful. Some people don't. It's, you know, but it's, it is nice when you're able to share the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, One last question as we end the episode, what do you see some future in the tech industry? Like, you know, is it more automation? Is it automated cars? Is it flying cars? Like what what are some things that you predict for the future of tech? Oh gosh. Um, What I'd love to see and also what I see more and more people gravitating towards is climate tech Um, is, is sort of like different like companies that are trying to solve like our climate issues with technology. And now that's very vague. Um, but I, I do think that that's going to be really important and, you know, flying cars and, and self-driving cars sound really cool. Um, I love that they're tied to the electrification of vehicles, but I think the larger bucket there is like climate tech. Yeah. I think that's a good way to, a good perspective to share. And like, you know, there's obviously something that needs to change for the climate and it's like, how can tech help influence that? And you're right. Even on the electric side of cars, like that's a piece of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's like a lot of things that are like adjacent to that. Um, but I, I, I'm really interested to see where that goes. So awesome. Well, thanks, Mars, so much for sharing like a lot of really cool things about your background, your career, shared a lot of great advice, too. So thank you so much for taking the time to uh, allow me to interview for, for the podcast. It's always been amazing having you on the panel. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And hopefully this is the beginning of of more reappearances on the podcast again. So I'm looking forward to it. We're just going to hold you to that, Mars. It's now recorded. So it is what it is. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm on tape. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.